And the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. This is the gospel of the Lord Christ is risen. Can the same thing be said of you? That you seek Jesus of Nazareth? Is that why you're here this morning? Because you also are looking for Jesus? What an incredible message. What an absolutely powerful, amazing words those were by the angel. I think they're my favorite words from the Easter accounts. He is not here. You see, they were looking for Jesus in the place of death. They were looking for Jesus in the tomb, but Jesus had overcome. And as you look for Jesus this morning, no, the same message does not apply to say he is not here. He is here Because this is not a place of death. This is not the tomb. This is his house. This is his church. And you are his people. He is here. And he is in you and with you. Thanks be to God. But as we come today thinking about those who look for Jesus, including ourselves, And trying to discover where he might be found. We get the privilege of doing so. And considering some of the possibilities of where we might look for him. It made perfect sense for the women to go to the tomb. That's the last that they had seen. Remember, some of those women, if they were the exact same three or not, had stayed around even after everybody else had gone and had witnessed exactly where Jesus was buried. And so it only made sense. The last time they had seen Jesus Friday evening was the place where they would go on Sunday morning. But there they would encounter the historical fact that has never been disproven, that has been substantiated by all accounts that Jesus was not there. They looked for him, but they couldn't find him in that place. As you know, during the season of Lent, we've been making use of that book, Killing Jesus, which has been a, uh, a historical look at the facts as it says, about the account of how Jesus' last days and so forth played out, and some of the historical accounts in addition to the scriptures that would bear testimony to that, and then also kind of filling in some of the gaps and piecing things together. And through that process, hopefully, you've been blessed. 
Hopefully you've been blessed in terms of becoming more familiar with that account and the facts and the events that took place leading up to Jesus' death. That book was then put into a movie, which I think aired for the first time last Sunday. I think it's being shown again tonight. Now, if you've seen it, you understand what I'm about to say. If not, just be forewarned. It's probably worth watching, although for as accurate as the book has been to the scriptures and all of those things, the movie has kind of fallen short. But I guess that sometimes is what happens when you get so many people involved in trying to produce something on that scale. Having said that, one of the things that I had not been that aware of was that at the same time, over these last six weeks or so, on CNN, of all places, has been a documentary series entitled Finding Jesus. And perhaps you've seen some of those, maybe not, but their approach has been to look at six different relics or artifacts from history to try to determine if Jesus can be found in or through those things. To give you an idea of some of the things that were looked at were things like the Shroud of Turin, if you're familiar with that, the bones of John the Baptist, some additional writings outside of the scriptures, namely the Gospel of Judas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, There was the James, the brother of uh, Jesus, ossuary, and the bones that had been found. And of course, there were pieces and parts, supposedly, of the true cross that have been scattered throughout Christianity and the world. And so the authors of the book and the producers have taken a scientific approach to look at each of these items to see if, in fact, they, well... On the one hand, I think the skeptics would like to use such things to say these things aren't real and therefore disprove that Christ ever lived or certainly did what Christians say that he did. And yet others look to it to say, look it, we're going to verify and prove that Jesus did what he said and did. It was an interesting series. But here's a quote from the person who put it together or one of the authors, David Gibson was his name, and this is what he says. He says, you know, every time one of these artifacts is found or talked about in scholarship and archaeology, he said, people get all interested. And so he said, our goal of this project was this. So we wanted to use these fascinating objects as windows onto the Gospels themselves to see whether the artifacts are real and what they mean. The thing is, though, he goes on, we often found that after all the testing and the research, we wound up back at the gospel accounts as the best and most reliable guides. Whether those artifacts are true or not. You know where you find Jesus most clearly? Is in his word. What an incredible blessing we have in the word. Be in the word. 
It has stood the test of time. It has stood the onslaught of critics and scholars and and those who would destroy the Christian message and the Christian truth. And it still stands. It is still the number one best-selling book of all times. Do not take it for granted. Find Jesus in the pages of Holy Scripture. For there he is. We know where to find Jesus. But what about other people? What about others? Where are they looking and seeking for Jesus these days? Well, it is Easter. And so what would Easter be without an Easter egg hunt? Now, boys and girls, all of you who have either participated in or are going to find Easter eggs or Easter baskets or candy or other gifts or whatever, consider that an incredible blessing. What a fun and exciting thing to participate in, to celebrate the joy of of giving and also of, of finding things and being excited, enjoying some candy and otherwise. But unfortunately as some of you probably know. For many, finding Jesus, so to speak, has simply been replaced by finding Easter eggs, the Easter bunny, or whatever prizes or gifts he might leave behind. The city of Sacramento, California, in fact, over the weekend, tried to set the world's record for the largest Easter egg hunt Around the capital in Sacramento were hidden some 500,000 eggs. Well, imagine how that scene played out. Without much organization, apparently. Apparently there were stories of more kids crying and parents screaming than there were of true Easter joy. It ended up apparently being the case that parents ran onto the lawn and scooped up as many eggs as they could for their kids and the special prizes that were there, often pushing other kids and cursing in order to get to what they wanted for themselves or their kids. If that is where people look for Jesus, how truly sad indeed. To miss or to not even be aware of what this day is all about. May God have mercy. But you know, there's other places that people can look in order to find whether it's Jesus they're looking for or not, or whether they are looking for meaning and purpose in life. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what is, I have come to be, to know of the phrase, the tech titans, which apparently refers to any number of those CEOs and and millionaire, actually billionaires that many have come out of the uh, Silicon Valley and in California, and at a very young age, because of their intelligence and because of their, um, their abilities in the computer world and likewise technology, They have made it big very young. And so such people who have founded things like 
Facebook and Google and, um, and uh, PayPal and some of these, Netscape and others. And apparently they have become quite generous in their donations to charitable causes. But what's interesting is where many of them seem to be spending their charitable dollars. Larry Ellison, who happens to be the founder and former CEO of Oracle Corporation, which sells computers and, and software, enterprise software, he had this to say when it came to what he thought was the most important thing in terms of life and so forth. He had this to say. He first of all had, um, he first of all has made it clear that he wishes that he would be able to live forever. He said this, death has never made any sense to me. He told his biographer, Mike Wilson, how can a person be there and then just vanish, just not be there? To put his money where his mouth is, Larry Ellison has donated more than $430 million to anti-aging research in the search to defy death. To prolong life, perhaps that's the only thing that really seems to give meaning to some. When people are looking for meaning, where do they look? And that brings us to you. Imagine... You're a neighbor, or you're a friend of one of those parents who was apparently pushing other kids out of the way in order to get more Easter eggs for their own kids. If they would come looking for answers, or contentment, or joy, or meaning to their life, would they find Jesus in you? Imagine you were related, or were acquainted with or even work with somebody who had the ability to give $430 million to any place, let alone anti-aging research because they wanted to live forever. If they looked at you, would they find something different? Would they find Jesus there? Isn't that what God calls us to be. For those who don't know where Jesus is, that we are in fact to be the embodiment of him. The hands and the feet, the love and the grace, so that others might see him in us. And that brings us to the question, how will you respond? If somebody's looking for Jesus in you, how will you show him? I can't imagine what Easter 
services were like this morning across Kenya. Where this past Thursday, gunmen stormed a campus of a university in Garissa, Kenya and massacred close to 150 students. But before they massacred them, as they were rousting them out of their dormitories, as they were gathering them up, they distinguished between those who were Christian and those who weren't. And those who were Christian were the ones that they executed. Imagine, what does Easter mean for families of someone who made it known in their life that they knew Jesus? What kind of hymns, what kind of songs, what kind of words fill their lips on Easter morning? You know, we just sang this verse. Verse 5 of the hymn we just sang, it says, The world against me rages, its fury I disdain. Though bitter war it wages, its work is all in vain. My heart from care is free, no trouble troubles me. Misfortune now is play, and night is bright as day. Are we willing to show Jesus if it costs our life? What about our business? You may be familiar with what the events of what has taken place in the state of Indiana recently because of some legislation that was being proposed and the, and the accusation that this legislation was a license for intolerance and bigotry and so forth. And you may have heard about Reporters that seem to almost go out of their way to hunt and find those who could somehow, from their perspective, show that kind of bigotry and intolerance. And they found that 21-year-old young lady who worked for her family pizzeria. And they proposed a completely hypothetical set-up situation and asked, would you cater a wedding that was uh, for a gay couple? To which she honestly had to say, if we were asked to, to cater for pizza for a, a gay couple's wedding, I, I don't think we could do that because that's not something that we feel is appropriate. To which unleashed a, an apparent firestorm on Twitter and social media, such that the business had to close down because there were death threats against that business. There were all sorts of outrage, apparently, that came against that for being bigots and intolerant and haters and all sorts of things. If somebody is looking for Jesus in you, how will we show them? There are lots of things that are troubling in this world. Per Christians are being persecuted in places not just around the world, but here, and in different ways. 
and we as sinful human beings make mistakes, our faith is not as strong as it should be, we sin daily and need a Savior. People are looking for Jesus and many times we fail to show him. But I want to give you some words of encouragement today. One of the students who survived the Kenyan massacre, a Christian, he apparently, when the gunman came in and and started firing, I don't know where this was exactly and what type of room, but he went down and he pretended that he was shot and as they were coming around and so forth and checking He apparently pretended to be dead and to add to that, he, as as sad as it sounds, he took some of the blood of a fallen classmate and put it on himself in order to make it look like he also had been shot and killed. Do you know that as Christians, that's precisely why Christ died? So that we can take his blood and cover ourselves. So that death can pass over. And we are spared of the punishment, of the consequences eternally of our sins and our failures. Do you also know that in Kenya, such attacks against Christians are not brand new? That there has been that kind of persecution going on in some way or another, perhaps intensifying. But having said that, do you know that the Christian church in Kenya is growing faster than perhaps anywhere else in the world? Do you know that God is at work even amidst the types of massacres that may take place? That even as was said by early church fathers back in the days of the Romans, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know what? I bet those services this morning in Kenya were in fact filled with Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, hallelujahs. And praises, tearful praises, being sung to the one who has died and who has overcome and who lives forever. Because that's what being a Christian means. And this is the last word of encouragement. That no matter what or where or how we find ourselves, Christ is not in the tomb. He's in us. He is with us. And we are able to show whoever is looking where Jesus is and who Jesus is and how much he loves us because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.